everyone, and welcome again to the Siemens Additive Manufacturing Podcast, where we talk about all things 3D printing. In the last episode, I started a conversation with Kevin Sheehan from Siemens Energy, talking about how additive manufacturing is being used in the energy industry. I'm happy to report that Kevin is back to continue that conversation. Now, Kevin, last time we left off talking about how Siemens Energy seems to be a bit of an outlier with regards to your deep adoption of additive, while the energy industry in general hasn't seemed to quite be caught up to your aggressive usage of uh, of 3D printing. So for this episode, I'd like to start by talking a little bit about some of the parts uh, you print at Siemens Energy. We've kind of alluded to several of those and mentioned a few of them, but there's there's one example I'm thinking of that I think is a couple of years old at this point, but it's one that I really like because to me it's something, you know, very different from the usual use cases for additive that we kind of see over and over if you go to a, you know, a conference or whatever. But the application I'm thinking of is is of burner repair. I know you guys had a really nice story around that a couple of years back. Maybe you can walk us through that application and why you decided it was an appropriate use for additive manufacturing and, and what the benefits were to you. Yeah, that was a really cool example of using additive in a non-traditional way, let's call it. And again, this is where that combination of a design engineer and the manufacturing guy coming together and saying, why build the whole part? And this was a repair application. So it's just this one little piece of the burner, part of the burner that needs needs to be repaired. Typically, they would just cut the whole part off and, and start over with a new part and weld it on. But in this case, what we're doing is just removing the damaged portion, basically the tip of the burner. And then the whole burner itself, the previous part of it that's still intact and still has a lot of life left, that whole part goes into the printer itself. And, uh, of course, there's some modifications that had to be done to the printer to accept the part in there because generally you're just building on a build plate. And in this case, we're not building on the build plate, we're building on the part. That took some modifications, and at that point, the part is now the build plate. The process was uh, perfected so that you could align lasers and align the part and just begin your standard powder bed fusion layer-by-layer process right on the part. Huge advantages on on saving parts uh, and doing it cost-effectively and and also more quickly, uh, getting those parts back to the customer is, is certainly something that we've had success with. One other example I'll, I'll put, since that's a rather old one and maybe known to a lot of people, is within the last year, we've started to release a similar process for our turbine blade tips. Over time, our blade tips degrade. It's pretty hot at the tip of the blade, so we need to, to save the rest, to save that blade. You know, the rest of the blade is still in very good condition. Typically, we would use a a bulk weld process to repair the tip of the blade, and then we'd have to machine it back. But now what we can do is we can take two paths. We can uh, do that same process, put blades now in the printer, set up the job so that it starts to print directly on that blade tip. Of course, you have to have a flat and parallel surfaces that mirrors the build plate, which we've developed and then just build up the blade tip as it was before as a casting. So that's one option. But we found because we have an additive now and powder bed, we can now create a new blade tip, a different blade tip, an upgraded blade tip that might have some advanced cooling 
that you couldn't do in a traditional cast sense. So now we're applying an upgrade to a blade tip that potentially has a different material than the standard blade, maybe more oxidation resistant. We can put cooling channels now into the blade tip that you couldn't do through a conventional cast and drilled type of blade tip. Pretty exciting field that we're, we're finding uh, many benefits there. Again, it's, uh, it's faster, it's, it's a bit more consistent than, than the bulk weld process that we had before. So that's pretty exciting to see, again, another unique use case of using additive for repair, not just for making new parts. Are you able to uh, repair multiple blades in, in one build tray, mm-hmm. basically? So depending on the size of the blade, of course, uh, we can get uh, multiple parts and a unique scanning technology to, to locate all those parts and then start the uh, print process right on each one of them. I know with the uh, the original burner project, you guys worked with EOS, right? I, I imagine having a, a tight coordination with the hardware partner is pretty important for these types of applications. Yeah, absolutely. With with EOS being a partner there, and of course DI with the digital, this is it's really marrying the digital and the hardware together to figure out, you know, how do you locate and and create a good quality build on on these parts that are within the machine. Do you guys print uh, just first-run blades as well at this point? No. So to be straight, so we're not printing blades for serial production yet. It's certainly on the roadmap. There's still some advancements in the material space that need to be overcome for that application. Of course, there are some other players in this space. Uh, I think aviation is, is printing through electron beam in some use cases, which we're investigating, but the the boundary conditions are a little different for land-based gas turbines to utilize that technology. Ultimately, we we want to get there. And of course, this blade tip repair is, as I would say, that first start. Start moving down the blade tip, if you will, and, and see how the process behaves and, and works. We have done blades for prototyping. This works pretty well. Of course, short, short-term engine tests, we've had some success. You can also use it for manufacturing prototyping. So getting the Getting the downstream cast processes ready for that that new casting, we can use additive to to give them a part pretty quickly to play with and and adapt to. I think I've also seen quite a few parts you have. I think they're called swirlers. What are those for, and why are they an attractive part to print? Yeah, so swirlers have been, uh, I would say, where we really sunk our teeth into to understand serial production. Swirlers are it's a combustion part. It sits up in the, what we call the head end of the cutmaster where you can equate it to a fuel injector, if you will, if people can familiarize themselves with that terminology. It's, it's essentially where you mix fuel and air together and then swirl it to get a good mixing, which in turn helps with emissions. So you want a good clean burn. That's traditionally a casting. Within it, because it's got fuel, because it does deliver fuel and, and mixes air, you've got channels for fuel and it's a part that is an assembly so there was welding on it and some drilling and whatnot to create fuel passages and it was just very ripe for additive Uh, it's a size of a part that fits very well and multi-pieces on the build job and we consolidated all of those processes into one print so it's essentially print cut off the build plate with some minor build support removal and the parts ready for engine use so it's uh 
it really gave us that opportunity to understand multi-piece production. So we've been now uh, in production with that part for the better part of three or four years. Thousands of parts now going through the factory. Helps lean out the factory, understand what production is about. I've been very happy with the way that that's been going. Of course, it also helps with lead time. You know, as you, you get into this, the supply chain issues we have today, casting is, is somewhat of a, a lead time intensive process. We've certainly found that uh, additive is, is helping us offset any, any of these issues that we see in the supply chain now. So a little bit earlier, Kevin, you uh, you mentioned material solutions. I know that's a, a business that Siemens Energy bought several years back. Can you maybe uh, tell us what it is they do, what types of uh, customers they service? Absolutely. So uh, when we acquired material solutions, they, of course, had an existing customer base for additive solutions, particularly in the high-performance applications, uh, nickel and titanium, and, of course, Siemens Energy was a customer of theirs uh, that we were using for prototyping quite often. Uh, So when we acquired them, we elected to keep the, what we now call the third-party piece of that business. And as I said earlier, there is a a, a rather synergistic path between both these applications of internal and external for us. We're keeping the name. Uh, It's it's a very well-known name and has quite a bit of brand recognition throughout the industry. And they are currently where we do most of our serial production for Siemens Energy. And uh, we also bring in most of the uh, production and prototyping for the third-party business also into that facility. Is there someone in particular that people can contact if they want to explore maybe, you know, working with the material solutions? The contact there would be Chris Barefoot, B-A-R-E-F-O-O-T. He's located there at the factory in Worcester, England, and you can find him on LinkedIn. Yeah, I know Chris. He's a great guy. Just to shift focus a little bit, since since I work for the, the software side of Siemens, what role do you see software playing in, in this evolution of the energy industry, and, and where do you think it fits in there? I think we're not unique in energy We're from a software standpoint. Everyone has the usual process of designing something and then going to get it into manufacturing. I like to think we're we're about the same from that standpoint. And on the software side, we're spend a lot of time really understanding how do we keep a connected model all the way from concept of design, the analysis phase, and then deciding on additive, of course. Then how do you simulate a build job? How do you set up the build? And then how does that connect to any shop floor management systems? Ultimately, taking that part out of the build job depowdering, and then post-processing efficiencies and ultimately inspections. So there's, we're doing our best to keep that all in one digital chain. Of course, for efficiencies, data integrity is, is key there. So uh, software plays a huge role, I would say, in all of this. That We still, still want to make sure that we keep an understanding and, and reduce those handoffs where you can introduce potential quality issues. I think that's pretty common. We see that quite a few places. When we talk about the design and analysis portion of, of making these additive parts, we hear a lot about, you know, the design freedom that comes from additive manufacturing. You know, the, the, this kind of ability everyone talks about to place material in 3D space exactly where you need it. 
How has this type of freedom uh, affected the types of designs that Siemens Energy is is creating today? Well, I think it's uh, a lot like some of the examples we've we've talked about today, actually, in terms of looking at combining of, of assemblies. There's a huge opportunity here where additive plays a part, helps with delivering parts faster, helps control cost, whether it's, you know, these supply chain issues we're seeing already today. So, you know, additive helps from that perspective. The repair of parts, of course, as we, we showed, you know, how do you reduce the amount of waste so we don't have to throw away an entire part, but use additive to create novel repairs that you probably couldn't do in the past. That's certainly an area uh, that this freedom freedom helps. And then finally, I would, I would put back in here the, the combustion parts and veins. It's really about efficiency and, and how, do you, how do you get the most out of this design-to-function type of thought process from where we used to be to it was limited by the manufacturing process. And of course, additive has limitations. We, we know that, but and they're different. But we still do see a little more opportunity to design the part to the way it needs to behave rather than what it was limited to by a casting process or a machining process. Yeah, I always call them landmines. You know, every every manufacturing method has its landmines. You just have to, you know, spend the time to figure out what those are over time, right? And that's, I think, a lot of everybody in the additive manufacturing industry right now is trying to figure out where the landmines are and how to step around them. <laughs> when we uh, when we talk about designing these products for for this, you know, this cleaner energy future that we all want, where does automation come into play? You know, we're, we're seeing kind of in the wider additive manufacturing world that a lot of companies are looking to automation and optimization to maximize the efficiencies in their products. But I assume this is, you know, automation is a dynamic that's affecting Siemens Energy as well. Well, automation is definitely required in additive. Uh, I would say it's, in the beginning, it's been quite a manual process as people just really understand what, what has to be done. And, and I think everyone has to go through that manually first before you can design a, an automation set up. For what I've seen, maybe this is a bit of a wish to the software guys, is there's a lot of time spent between taking this design as it's geometrically created and, and starting a build job and getting it prepared. So uh, still a bit of manual intervention of, you know, best way to set up the part orientation-wise. Again, there's a feedback loop there too to design on shaping certain features, checking the models, checking the build file, you know, how can we create a more uh, of an artificial intelligence model around going straight from here's my design to printed part. Potentially some opportunity there I see for automation. The second place I would put automation uh, up against is after the printer. So I think a lot of people still have this misnomer about it's just print and you can use the part. Well, if only it was that that easy. <laughs> There's still a lot of post-processing on, on the metal powder bed fusion side of the business, at least, of removing supports. Um, of course, qu equipment makers are always trying to figure out how to reduce the amount of supports required for overhangs and, and such. But uh, until that's really perfected, you're going to have supports. you got to take parts off build plates. you got to depowder it. And there's final machining. So still a rather manually intensive process today of, of moving between these different stations and 
and doing things. So there's certainly areas in that that realm that automation can help us. Overall, where do you think Siemens Energy is in its additive manufacturing journey? Where do you where do you think you are compared to maybe the energy industry as a whole? Well, uh, like I said, I think we're well on our journey. We feel we're in a really good place. I like to think we're 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 at the the leading edge of of adopting additive for the industry. I think it somewhat shows in in our number of qualified parts. Again, we're over 125 unique pieces that are that are running in engines today. So I would say we're we're at that tipping point for serial production. The organization, the the company is embracing it. It's more and more people are asking us every day, help them. Uh, how can additive help me on this part or solve this problem or give me a part tomorrow type of questions. So we feel we're we're accelerating pretty quickly now. We want to get to more and more parts. We we see the the potential there on the inside, on the internal business. Externally, in our external business, uh, where we service some of the aviation and auto sport, I think it's still still growing, right? There's still the regulation, the you know the testing that you have to go through, the multi-year type of understanding of behavior from a safety perspective, and and that's all needed. And uh, it's good to see there's. More parts on on flying engines today. That's really going to help additive. We just saw the U.S. President Biden a couple weeks ago saying, "Got to get additive uh, more ingrained in our small business, medium business, for U.S. manufacturer." And I think these are things that are going to further continue this additive journey for everybody, uh, so that we can really take the advantage of of what this technology can offer. To close things out today, I'd, I'd like to get your perspective on, on the things you think AM will be used for in the energy industry maybe a few years from now. So in your opinion, what are the potential uses for additive and energy that aren't being realized today, but that you think show some promise for the future? Well, I think the biggest area is this hydrogen combustion. So the next 10 years is going to be really interesting, I would say, for everybody on, on the energy side. It's how will sustainable production of energy shift? Is it going to go 100% renewable? Maybe at some point, still a ways away. So this bridge technology of gas turbines, backstopping renewables, when the sun doesn't shine, when the wind doesn't blow, you know, you got to have still some backup. And this hydrogen, I think, will really enable that transition. And additive is going to be right there. Burning hydrogen is, is a complex beast, not as simple as natural gas. It takes a lot of instrumentation and complex routing of fuel and air. So uh, it's very ripe for additive. So that'll be an area. There's also other topics within energy. You know, it's how do you compress hydrogen? New designs for that additive, I think, will be there. It's heat pumps, heat exchangers, better use of heat if you will, and how can we use that for generating energy? And then we're starting to see fuel cells come back. It was a big thing in the 80s and 90s, next best thing, and then they kind of run up up against some manufacturing issues. Uh, But uh, now we're starting to see additive, possibly enabling fuel cells again. How can we bring additive to, to help with those complex features that are needed for the fuel cell operations? So there's uh, Certainly areas outside of our, our normal gas turbine space that I, I see, you know, additive is going to come and 
and help quite a bit. Well, that's awesome. I look forward to uh, to seeing how many of those pan out here over the next uh, decade or so. I think we'll call it good for, for this episode. Um, I'd like to thank you, Kevin, for being with us today, sharing your insights, uh, giving us your time and, and talking about additive in the energy industry. I just, I really appreciate you taking time away from, from your real job to, uh, to talk with us today. Yeah, I appreciate it as well, Ashley. It's been uh, great to talk to you and, and hopefully share a little bit of insight and, uh, and learning to our, our Siemens energy journey. It takes all of us to move this technology forward. It's, it's certainly not something that just one company can, can take on and, and drive it. We need the whole industry, uh, joining hands, partnerships, collaborations to to bring additive forward. And it's good to see that there's interest out there to work together. So really appreciate it. And uh, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. So I guess that does it for another episode of the Siemens AM podcast. As always, I'd like to thank the Siemens Thought Leadership Team for sponsoring this podcast. And I'd like to once again thank Kevin Sheehan from Siemens Energy for joining us. Of course, I'd also like to thank all of you out there in the audience for listening in. If you have any questions about anything you've heard, please feel free to look me up on LinkedIn or on our Siemens AM blog, where I routinely post about what I hope are interesting additive manufacturing-related topics. You've been listening to the Siemens Additive Manufacturing Podcast. I'm Ashley Eckhoff, and we will catch you next time.